Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. I'm joined today by Becky Hogan, who is the Talent and Learning Director from Bupa, and also by Cheryl McCown, who's the Head of Apprenticeships with Bupa. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for having us. So we are going to explore a really important subject today, which I know that you're both passionate about, which is how we invest in frontline grassroots training and build leadership from the ground up. And Bupa have done an enormous amount of work in this area, and I'm, I can't wait to hear your story. So I might ask you to start off today by just give me a bit of background about how you came to be involved with this at all. Well, I first became involved with apprenticeships and also with grassroots training uh, way back when. I mean, I've got 20 years experience uh, in HR. And I think it also stems from the fact that having gone to university myself, knowing that I've had that privilege, it sort of set a a tone for my career, I would say. So from a Booper perspective, the journey or should we call it an adventure, Cheryl? Definitely an adventure. adventure. (laughs) The adventure started for us actually in early 2018 albeit that we know that the levy came in place early 2017. Mm. But that's where we really started our uh, our journey with the apprenticeships. It's been an 18-month pathway to where we've uh, reached today. And we've really set our ethos, haven't we, along the way? And, um... We really have, yeah. So I joined Bupa to look after leadership development. And one of the things I was super excited about was what the government had put in place in terms of the apprenticeship levy. Myself, I could really understand the rationale for the apprenticeship levy. I could see the opportunities that it brought. And I was so fortunate then to work with Becky and see how we could apply that to Bupa. And the fact that it's about you know, that grassroots development, looking mm-hmm. at emerging talent, but also the principle of it applying to anyone and everybody, you know, taking away that restriction of age, meant so much for Bupa. And we were really keen to make it work for our organisation. We knew we had pockets where we already had people doing studies, whether that be the old NVQ system or apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. And Becky and I were really mm-hmm. keen to go on that adventure and scale it in a way that was really appropriate for our business. And that's really where we started to understand the most appropriate areas of our business for us to utilise all of the great programmes that came with the reforms in apprenticeships. So I guess to perhaps just share a bit more background about the the scale, because it is an enormous scale, isn't it? We're talking about, am I right, 22,000 people within your employee base. And that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, so that's in our our market. So we're talking, you know, a UK population there, so over 22,000. So if you sort of scale that up in terms of the number of leaders, managers, frontline staff, it's a really big operation. Mm. So it has maximum impact. You know, our levy is in the scale of millions, which means we have millions to do, you know, a really great, or pay a really great service to our uh, employees mm. and make a really fundamental statement about developing those skill sets for those people. But I do want to say at a really early point, I think we need a big dose of humility is that we haven't always been where we wanted to be with from an apprenticeship perspective. For sure, we had a lot of work to do. So when Cheryl and I first started, we certainly had surplus within our digital account. 
And it wasn't because people didn't care about it. It just wasn't on people's radars. and They didn't really understand what an apprenticeship could do for our people. I think apprenticeships had a bit of a connotation. Mm-hmm. And, and Cheryl's referred to the age point, yeah. seen as a young person's thing, seen as very specific skill sets. We saw it differently. We saw it as an amazing opportunity. I don't know in what world or in any other situation you'd be allowed to write off millions in a business budget. You you wouldn't be allowed to do that. But for some reason, so many companies were writing off their levy, knowing that they only had two years to spend the money when it entered the account. And both Cheryl and I felt very passionately about not allowing that to happen mm. and that we would use it for you know the good of developing our business. And when Cheryl talks about some of the pockets of good work that was already being done, I mean, we certainly had a very mature dental program and we could absolutely demonstrate that actually this was pre-levy, this was when we had apprenticeship funding and we were using the apprenticeship funding in order to develop key skills for our dental nurses. And so if you think very fundamentally that a dentist cannot practice without the support of a dental nurse. And so therefore we were taking unskilled people giving them the skills and the qualifications to be a dental nurse. So we knew it could have a really great business benefit as well as benefiting the individuals. We just needed a fight to find a way to tell our story with the wider business. And that's where I think our journey really started. Another point to mention there is we didn't just focus on making a difference at Bupo right from the start. We were involved in supporting the government make the necessary changes pre the introduction of the the levy in 2017. So for anyone listening that remembers all of that consultation about whether or not your levy expires after 12 months or 24 months, we worked with our corporate affairs department to very much, our case forward to say we would be really supportive of 12 month expiration date and we all know how successful that was and we also um, took part in many trailblazers so the dental nurse trailblazer with um, the general dentistry council for instance we are active outside of um, our own organization um, as much as we are inside and I think that really helped for us to bring that thinking in-house and and as Becky says when we started that journey towards educating and engaging people in the possibilities Mm. that the apprenticeship levy gave us it was a real strength for us to to have that context when we spoke to senior people in our organisation that could help. As you've said Becky there are and there still are, I think, in many organisations, views that the apprenticeship levy is to train more junior people in perhaps more technical skills, that sort of area. And also there's a stigma attached to being an apprentice, isn't there? So thinking about how you've won over support from your senior management team and and other people within your organisation would be really interesting to hear. It was quite interesting because within a few months, Cheryl and I met and we had a bit of a meeting and we put all of our woes down on several flip charts and we (laughs) brainstormed. And the thing that we realised is that we had to change belief. And yes, apprenticeships, that that word does bring feelings that uh, we had to get past. Mm. And in fact, we called it my studies at Bupa for a while. Mm. We'd still use that phraseology, but now we are the other side and we can actually call it apprenticeships and everybody's very happy 
And proud. And proud. And proud to yeah. be on an apprenticeship. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So in terms of changing beliefs, the first thing that we actually had to do was move to where I suppose the appetite was for apprenticeships. And that very much was in our care homes business. We didn't have time on our side, did we? We, we had really, to get spending. We really did. We had to move at pace. We did. With it. And that included for us understanding where our current learning programmes were in the business, which was all in care services. And at the time, there were 19 different programmes running that we knew very little about. So we were faced with the challenge of changing mindset and winning over the hearts of people around apprenticeships and also making sure that learners that were in the transition from pre-levy to post-levy were really cared for and engaged as were their managers. What that meant was it gave us some really great case studies to take back to inform people. So, for example, really hugely successful and passionate home managers who had joined our business on a level two adult care apprenticeship and had progressed through to a level five in care leadership. Those stories really helped us Mm. to talk through with with other people in our organisation outside of care homes about what apprenticeships could mean for their businesses. And we were so lucky because we had an operations director in that business, Rebecca, and she believed in this Mm. and she could see the benefits for for her people because she would go around the business and hear the stories but also she understood that and we were able to show her data about the retention levels Mm. and also the propensity to take a promotion also so she she really understood what that meant for her and her business she even stood up in front of an entire leadership population unprovoked by Cheryl or myself and named it as her top three most instrumental and most impactful for her business. So she was there just talking very naturally about the importance of the apprenticeship programme and and what we had done together. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to use that energy when we then approached our executive team. So Cheryl and I always felt from the get-go that there should be an apprenticeship board. And that is because our finance team actually made a very interesting and a very important decision early on, and that was to neutralise the impact of the levy on cost centres. So therefore, the levy belongs to nobody, but that can't be the case. It has to belong to somebody, and we were really sure it could not belong to HR. That wouldn't be palatable because that would be the wrong pathway. So therefore, this board would be an excellent way to actually provide some governance and to provide the energy that was needed to push this out very, very quickly, but also push it out in the right way. So it wasn't just about speed. It was also about the quality of the decisions we were making. And so the fact that we had started with the care services business and our care homes actually paid dividends because when we took it to the executive team and said we would like this board, the general manager of the care homes business, Joan, was at that meeting and put forward Rebecca to be on the board, which set the tone for the level of leader that would be on that board, which would be at our what we call executive team minus one level. And that worked beautifully for us. It meant that we had very senior business leaders Mm -hmm. interested in, in developing our approach to apprenticeships. And with that, which this is something we just did not expect, did we, Cheryl? We had the general manager of health services raise his hand to say, I would like to chair the board. And that was absolutely magic, wasn't it? It was fantastic. From the very first meeting, it was so clear that everybody was really on board and as passionate as Becky and I are Mm -hmm. about the the topic. Another important reason for us as to why we wanted operational leaders and for it to be seen as not 
a HR or people initiative was we really understood and are behind the ethos of the government for why apprenticeships exist. So we know that it's looking to develop skills that the UK economy needs and what better way to understand what skills our business needs than go to our front line and understand what it is our customers, our residents, our patients are asking for and actually that translates beautifully into the principles that we use for investing our levy. The fact that we have operational leaders that keep us to account on that has been just invaluable. Yes, we had aspirations for sure, but the board has developed our aspirations and and Wayne, who chairs the board, he played a really fundamental role at that first sort of meeting saying, what are we going to do with this money? Mm -hmm. Like, what's our purpose? This could be a really important force for good. And that's where we set our strategic aim. So we say that we want a minimum this isn't exact, but a minimum of 80% of our funding to be spent at that grassroots level. Mm -hmm. So that means anybody that is in direct contact with our customers, anybody that's a first-line manager, and anybody that is a first-line leader. And so if you think about that population, we have spent so much time investing in that population now, sort of 18 months on. We could have done what other businesses did. We could have gone much faster. Mm -hmm. We could have put in place many level seven, level six apprenticeships, which are expensive. There's a place for them for sure. So we do have them. But we actually said, no, we're not going to just drain our surplus by going after those more senior level, sort of what's seen as a more senior level, uh, you know, apprenticeships. We would go, it's a bit like the hare and the tortoise, actually, we would go slower we would be very purposeful in terms of making sure that we didn't waste one penny of our apprenticeship levy, but that we would actually manage to offer this out in a more democratic way to far more employees, which would therefore have much more of a bottom-up approach. Mm. And we focus very much on the enhancement of skills rather than the level. So we really look to, for instance, in our clinical space, some of those apprenticeships are fantastic, and yes, they are a level five. Mm. The skills that they give our people to provide enhanced customer experience to our residents, so in some of our dementia settings, for instance, are second to none. You know, the qualifications that have really been brought on thanks to the reforms of the apprenticeship levy and the ability of employer groups to come together and decide what's most applicable for that discipline for that level of uh, academia. As Becky says, we've been very purposeful in how we've selected our audience for those levels of apprenticeships. Importantly, internally, we, we, we don't talk so much about the level, but about the learning outcome yeah. and what that will mean for our people and for our talent pipelines in terms of people that could grow in to those roles, but their projections after those roles, so do they go down a clinical leadership route or um, a generic clinical leadership or a generic leadership route? We've got such a diverse organisation that the opportunities to keep that talent in-house and to really support um, the wider aims of our business, there really are many of them and the apprenticeship programmes at every level give us those opportunities. I think it's it's so important, isn't it, to, to really focus on that learning outcome. And it's not just learning that impacts, as you say, the academic study and the, the customer impact is really interesting and important to explore, isn't it, of the enhanced skill of the person providing either the care or, or actually in terms of the leadership work, thinking about how they interact with their people, how they're then passing on that skill themselves. I'm thinking also about the personal impact of the study as well. So 
what would you draw out of that in terms of the individuals going through all the different various apprenticeships? What are they getting from it? A piece of feedback that springs to mind as soon as you ask that question from one of our lovely ladies on a a leadership programme at the moment who said after her first coaching session she felt like Wonder Woman. So she felt really empowered to give feedback to her team, really empowered to think about her career and to do that for herself. And this is a lady who had never had any further education, so beyond you know, your level two in apprenticeship terminology, GCSE level education, never invested for herself. She is somebody that recognises the importance of education for her children mm. and had really taken, to use her own words, a back step in her career to support her family. And through apprenticeships and the programmes that we that we offer at Bupa, she has made a personal decision to invest in herself. It's really given her the confidence to, to flourish. The feedback we get from her manager as well is, is excellent. That translates to all of our programmes. Mm. So if I think of how we support our learners with learning difficulties and the extra support that we give them. We take that very seriously, so we do individual briefings with managers, we select our providers very carefully, and one of the questions that we ask them to present about is how they support people with learning disabilities and difficulties, and that's really woven into the fabric of everything that we do with our programmes. We have learners who have gone on to do programme after programming care and in dental, it's helped us look at all the programmes we introduce. As you say, from a personal perspective, it, it's just wonderful to see the engagement levels that we have. Mm-hmm. So across our across the piece, we have an 86% retention on all of our programmes, which is fantastic. You know, in some areas, we know it's industry leading. So it's something we definitely want to maintain. And we ask our learners what it is that makes the difference Mm. and it's the extra time and support that we give them as individuals we group them as cohorts so that they can benefit from peer learning yeah I definitely think the cohorts has been a really important part of what we've done because it puts you in a learning community and you're not on your own and for for some people who have had a rough time at school and haven't come out with the qualifications that they wanted and haven't realised their full potential and then they come to the workplace they get given this opportunity and actually I should say get given is is maybe a little bit false because what we decided to do was to have people apply for the apprenticeship places that's across all of our programmes it comes down to a belief system again that you are going to treasure and put forward your full potential if you've earned your place But also importantly, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, you're not getting this opportunity because your face fits. Mm. The best people that are the right people to be developed in the right positions that can maximise the opportunity, that can acquire the skills that are needed to actually do their programme. And also that they are going to put their efforts in because, you know, these aren't easy. You know, these aren't straightforward, are they? Because they can be anything 
from a year to, to several years and you're still balancing your day job and all your responsibilities and so on. And so that's the point about making this more of a democratic, you know, approach mm. to learning that people can apply. And we're always oversubscribed, aren't we? Always. Three to one was our latest. Mm. So we have, you know, three times as many applications as we do places on programme. And to, to keep it really democratic, we manage all of those applications centrally. We ask managers to support the application with written statements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we ask questions that are relating not to a person's capability, but to a, a person's curiosity and passion yes. for wanting to learn. And you really get the sense of that coming through. Um, so we have an aspiring managers programme that we that we use them, one of the apprenticeship programmes for. And to sit and read some of the applications about you know, people that haven't had a chance in school, they weren't given any direction, and now they feel like this is their chance to pass on all of their learning if they can just hone their abilities and their skills. You can see that they're leaders of the future just from what they're writing, and it, it shines through on their application. The managers do the same. It has been truly invaluable for them as cohorts to be all together without being selected, tapped on the shoulder. Mm, it, um, yes. They all have the same reason for being on that programme and they stay together, they learn together. I'm forever learning about them going off and doing things you new know, on their own, which is mm. you know, logistically sometimes a nightmare, but wonderful, wonderful to see that groups of learners are contacting each other to to support themselves with their learning creating projects in the business because something's you know tickled tickled their fancy and they've got <laughs> they've got curious about a yes. topic it's really created an impact that I don't think we yeah uh, mm-hmm. we could see at the start of our adventure no but actually you mentioned something there which was another learning for us because even the aspiring program came out because we had a level three management program but one of the qualifying criteria is that you had to manage people and boy did we hear from all the people that wanted to be a manager but didn't have that opportunity hey where's our program Mm -hmm. and guess what we put one on because the voice from the business was so loud so you know we learn and and we 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 know what's the current course of thinking uh, because our people tell us and on that topic I think it's really important for anybody out there that's you know thinking about an approach to, to certain apprenticeship programs it's selecting the providers that will consult with you mm-hmm. and also having the internal appetite to tailor your program by selecting audiences that work well together so be it through an application process or other ways and then understanding the learning that the organization needs and the skills enhancement that the people on that program need so making it individual but also work as a cohort I think comes from really strong relationships with providers which we see with all of our Mm. providers across our programs. I'm really thinking about some of the outcomes that you're describing here around the feeling of being valued the Mm. the aspirational nature of the programs and entry into them I'm also hearing about the peer support through the cohorts in the program this is not a small undertaking for somebody regardless of the regardless of the level especially if you haven't actually done much adult learning if any and especially as you quite rightly reference if perhaps you had a tough time at school or perhaps Mm -hmm. school was just a long time ago you know, challenging yourself to sit and answer some academic questions, to be in a classroom learning environment from time to time, to be in a group of peers who are 
performing at the same or higher mm. level as you sometimes. That's quite challenging for, for individuals, isn't it? But the value that, that comes from that, as you described with the example that you gave, Cheryl, is huge, isn't it? In mm. terms of personal development, confidence and self-belief. Mm. Absolutely. So we had an example of a lady on one of our adult care programmes who had to complete her functional skills mm. um, as well as the apprenticeship. And she wrote to our training provider to thank them because now she was much more confident doing the household shop. And it was such a wonderful letter to read. And the training provider pointed out to me how right at the very start, composing an email was something that they sat her through, talked her through. And what's really interesting is we've we've got actually 44% of all of our learners in care services above the age of 40 on a learning programme. So as much as I'm giving you one example, there are stories like this all over our business. Mm. And to know that we're having an impact not just on somebody's working life, but on how they are able to demonstrate enhanced skills for their home life... It's wonderful. It's wonderful to do. And just because, you know, we're, we're one business, it doesn't mean that, you know, one dental practice is connected to another dental practice necessarily or one care home with another care home or a care home with a dental practice. So these apprenticeship cohorts allow people to make these connections across our business, share knowledge, share wisdom. We get things wrong. So if you've, you know, if you've done that, you can share that, share your learnings. It really is this this mutual benefit um, that happens. So it ends up being a very positive thing because it's sort of self-supporting. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I'm I'm really thinking about the diversity of those groups as well. Diversity is about opinion, isn't it? It's about the voice. It's not just about the background of the individual. Mm. And I think that must be really interesting in a mixed cohort where you have people coming from things in a different way, just being able to think about things in a different way is a really valuable learning place, isn't it? Absolutely. It really speaks to our, you know, our approach with BU at Booper. So we have an everyone's welcome pledge. So as you come into our offices, the first thing you will see is a really great big plaque that says sort of everyone's welcome and it's signed by the CEO. And within that, BU at Booper is all about being authentic, being yourself. That's one of our values, authenticity. And we want people to be able to have these opportunities for it to be an inclusive workplace. And that shows up in so many different places. Mm. But there's no better example than our apprenticeship scheme. We have no idea other than what they're presenting when they apply for an apprenticeship about their skill sets and so on. That's all we know and that's all we're looking at. And so therefore, it has great impact on things like social mobility I mean, what better way to think about social mobility than an apprenticeship scheme where, you know, everybody has the same opportunity and we are levelling the playing field when it comes to neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. And our providers, as Cheryl has said, are specifically picked, they're put through a tender process so that we know that they can support us with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're thinking about your diversity and inclusion you do want to think about your apprenticeship levy because mm. that is going to be fundamental. If you want great leaders and you want diversity in your leadership population, put your investment at your grassroots. It will take time, but you will get there. So that sort of leads us quite quite neatly into perhaps thinking about some advice that you might give to some of these organisations who are doing nothing or very little with their levy. You know, we know that's 
actually quite mm. a large part of business in the UK at the moment. So what would you say to them? What would you say? Oh, where do we start, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's so much. I think we asked ourselves early on, what would our customers tell us? Mm. What would they ask us? What would our frontline people say if we asked them? And we spent a good while considering that. We, we didn't rush. We were very considered and purposeful in looking at what apprenticeship programmes were out there. So I guess the first bit of advice would be to take that time. Mm. Take that time to understand what the levy means for you, both in terms of the processes and what apprenticeship programmes out there are relevant for your industry. Industry first and foremost, and Boopers hugely diverse as we go across a number of industries but I would certainly say that that's helpful to look outside and see what's going on in the industry that you might need to get ahead of the game that's the first point so I would definitely say passion so I'm not going to apologize for just how many times we're saying the word apprenticeship today and in this (laughs) podcast Um, you know you've got to be passionate about it Mm. your leaders are not going to pay any attention to this unless you're authentic about and you have your own beliefs about what the after the possible is with this you know we were like energizer bunnies Mm -hmm. last year for sure and we were relentless and we spoke about it and spoke about it and spoke about it. And what will happen is your business will pick up on your energy. Mm. If you've got the right culture, your business will pick up on that energy. So just be very, very overtly passionate about it. Or if you're not passionate about it, be honest and don't do it. Mm. Do something else. Write it off, you know, by all means. But if you're going to do it, do it properly, I think I would say. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I would say tip number two, actually thinking you just encourage me to say tell stories understand that the reason that these reforms were put in place was to put skills back into our country yes to follow suit with Denmark and Germany get behind that understand what the critical skills for your business are and tell those stories if they're not stories that you have in your organization look to other companies that have benefited from this hugely the information's out there and if you can identify people to to love those stories as much as you do as mm-hmm. as becky says you will you will have an easier job than deciding how to invest your levy the third point would be to talk about it in terms of investment and don't worry about doing too much do the right things in a timely fashion with the right people and the right sponsorship this is new for everybody. It's new for the providers. It's new for the government. It's new for organisations. It's new for your internal payroll. So um, use that expertise and come together to figure it out. And it is a changing landscape, isn't it? It's, mm, it's already changing. It's already changed since the initial levy two and a half years ago now. Um, funding's changed already. Yes. And no doubt the way that the levy is administered will change again. Yes, like, and that's no okay. doubt. We have new changes coming in April next year about the endpoint assessments. Mm-hmm. And I think to Becky's point, that's why you need the passion. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who I could read about it all day, every day. <laughs> that's just me. But you do need that passion to keep up to date with uh, legislation because we're all learning together. You know, there are times I educate my providers on things and there are times that my provider educates me. You, you have to go in with that openness, willingness and that ethos to 
to get somewhere with it because it, mm-hmm. it, it is a real learning journey. It's such a huge change for businesses and providers that we um, we all need to be, be in it together, mm-hmm. I would say. And one thing we've done actually is reach out to other organisations and see how we can share with each other and help each other. Mm. And we've done that within our you know, competitor group. Yes, we're I think book. we, really, we mm. really are open mm. to those conversations. If anybody's listening to this thinking, wow, you're lucky, Booper, because you know, you've got you know, 10 people in your apprenticeship team. No, like last year, it was just Cheryl and myself, and that was it. And so everything that Charles talked about was fundamentally important Mm. for us to move forward. Now, we have a few extra staff now because of the size and scale that we're operating at. But actually, it was just a lot of very specific intent. We were very clear. We were focused. We really did rely on those partnerships. They were very important to us. Mm. So it was a team effort, even to the fact of, um, I would say, make friends with your finance team from the very fundamental decision to bring the levy up to the uh, the top of the organization that was a great decision so thank you to the finance team but actually we also had a finance business partner that worked directly with us who helped us to create our own modeling tool mm. which gave Cheryl and myself line of sight of our spend so we're now predicting several years out because we can't we know things will change, you know, we know the variabilities, but this tool that we've developed with their help has allowed us to keep track of our investment. So we know at any one time where our investments are sat and we know more or less how things are going to play out for our financial year. Mm, absolutely. One thing I would actually say is given that there's so much ambiguity at times, give yourself some points of vision and target so mm. one of the things that we did was join the five percent club yes. and we are we are immensely proud to have joined that we joined we with six percent of our workforce already on a program of um, apprenticeships we have a target to get that to 10 percent by 2020 fingers crossed all being well we we will get there next year you led with this right at the beginning of our conversation about how in what other set of circumstances would mm. it be okay to just let that pot of money disappear? I know. I mean... It's unbelievable. In, it what, in what circumstances is that the right thing to do? And I'm, I'm, I'm taking away from our conversation the vision of Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> and, you know, what a powerful, powerful takeaway. Yes. You know? And... The other really memorable story of the lady who now is able to do her weekly shop more efficiently. You know, the principle of the apprenticeship levy underpins those stories, doesn't it? it the does. guiding light of that is that you are doing something that's incredible for your business and commercially extremely sensible, but also really important from a social point of view for us as a as a country. Oh yes, and even to the fact that, you know, you can gift your levy. Mm. So many, many organisations will have a corporate social responsibility approach and policy. You don't need to actually gift a lot to make a difference. Um, So, you know, we we made a decision. Again, this was the beauty of having Wayne on our apprenticeship board. He inspired us. He he made great community contacts and uh, he paved the way for us to start gifting. Mm. And and that brings us a lot of joy. Fundamental decision that Mm. not only would we gift some of our levy, but we would say that we wanted that to be for social enterprises or charities they had to be very small organizations so 
this this small amount of money would make a really big difference. These are these are organisations that maybe have only got ten or twenty people mm-hmm. would never be able to afford to do this. But actually, because of their partnership with Bupa, we've been able to do that. Absolutely. So they're people that are familiar with the gifting principles. They're non levy paying organisations. We're able to support carers in other care organisations who, without our support, mm. wouldn't be able to study for their for their qualifications. Mm. It's such a joyful part mm. of our strategy. We're really proud that that's part of part of our strategy and something that we will consider in the future. Well, thank you both for sharing so much of your passion for this <laughs> space and justifiably your pride in what you've achieved. I know that you're going to continue to, to work through it, but you have been inspirational this morning. So thank you. Thank you, Claire. Thank, thank you, you, Claire. Thanks for listening and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker or wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndale.